This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 125. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. And in this episode of the Novel Marketing Podcast, we're going to talk about what has consistently been cited as the number one way to sell books. Word of mouth. But before we dive in, Thomas, I got to ask you, are you an Olympics guy? You've been watching the Winter Games this year? I am. I've enjoyed watching them with my wife. We like different kinds of sports. She likes uh, sports where people very safely go on horizontal ice and jump and spin and dance. I like to watch people falling down mountains at death-defying speeds <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> in various ways. Sorry, not, not falling down mountains, skiing down mountains. <laughs> so uh, it makes me a little nervous when they're going like 60 miles an hour down a yeah, mountain. Yeah. But uh, they seem to be enjoying it and they seem to be doing it in a safe way. Uh, it's very impressive because sometimes they do more than just ski down the mountains sometimes they're flipping around um i'm always impressed and always thankful i'm not an olympian <laughs> so how about you, you what, what sports do you like oh i, I love the i love the half half pipe i love the snowboarders i, I love the the ski jumping um and i'm i'm giant slalom guy as well the, the figure skating eh, kind of bores me and the one that this is the one i don't get thomas curling you cannot <laughs> ever convince me that that is a sport sorry you know what i think what these guys are brushing the ice and I, I just yeah so that one that one's not so, working for me so i i wanted to take when i was dating uh, my now wife i took her out to go ice skating here in austin texas and we oh, get nice. there and the whole rink was shut down because they were having a curling competition and there was dozens of <laughs> curling teams curling against each other. And so we couldn't go ice skating, you know, for like the open skating. And this right. this curling guy with this like epically big beard explained curling to us for like 30 minutes while we watched. Oh, no. And I have to say, oh, no. I still don't get yeah. curling. <laughs> okay. Because okay. Like I remember I looked it up on Wikipedia, <laughs> you know, and... Yeah, and I've tried to research it a little, and I still don't understand the appeal or that. Yeah, so good. I'm not so anyway, alone. if you, if if you don't like, or if your feelings are hurt and you're a big fan of curling, you can send your email to james at jameslrubart.com. <laughs> That's right, and tell me why I'm wrong. I'd love it. So this is a good example of negative word of mouth, right? So we're having negative word of mouth about curling, which might make you less likely to watch curling, or maybe you've never heard of curling and you're curious and you're going to check it out. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking. About about in this episode is word of mouth, specifically the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so Jim, what are some <laughs> of the good right. things about word of mouth? Well, it is really the highest credibility form of marketing. I mean, if I come to you and I go, Thomas, I'm reading this book right now called The Power of Moments, which I actually am, and so far I'm loving it. Because we are friends, you're going to say, oh, well, that's something I probably should check out. Another bonus feature is it's it's cheap, right? Didn't cost me anything to tell you that. Didn't cost anything for you to hear the message. So it's cheap. And and the other thing about it is it snowballs, right? I'll tell you, but I'll tell somebody else. You might tell two people. My other friend tells two people. And so it can quickly snowballs. And when it works, oh my gosh, it it is the most powerful form of advertising. When it works, it works extremely well. So those are some of the good things. But Thomas, there are some bad things as well. Do you want to touch base on those? Yeah. So the biggest challenge with word of mouth marketing is that people live in bubbles. So there's this idea that if I tell one person and they tell nine people and then they tell nine people, we'd reach the whole world. And do you know how many hops it would take to reach the whole world if everyone tells nine people? It's only like 
10 or 13 hops and you've reached every person on the planet. But the reality is that that's not how word of mouth works. People tend to congregate around other people who are like them, or as we, as the old saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. And uh, nowadays people live in very small little communities of folks that actually trust and believe their opinion. So I may have 300 friends on Facebook, but maybe only 12 of those friends are actually going to see the status updates that I post post, especially if it's about a product or linking to a product. Very few people are actually going to see that. And what that means is that it can be very hard to go from one bubble to another bubble, right? Most of your friends are probably the same political party that you are. Or if you are apolitical and you don't really care, most of your friends probably don't really care either. And so if you're really popular with Republicans, you may have no readers that are Democrats and vice versa. Or uh, there's bubbles that are geographic and culturally uh, cultural, or most of your friends are close age to you. How many friends do you have that are 10 years older than you are 10 years younger. And even if you have a broad network of friends, most of your friends probably don't have broad networks of friends. And so that can keep an idea from really spreading with word of mouth. You may be really popular with this bubble of 50 people in Austin, Texas, but that's still only 50 books that have been sold. Yeah, most most people who are trying to do social media and trying to get a platform, we as writers, we as authors tend to have a lot more connections than the average person does. So the circle is a lot smaller for probably your friends who are not trying to publicize their career. That's right. Uh, word of mouth also only tends to kick in and really start spreading after you don't need it. So a lot of authors, <laughs> right? Uh, they are like, oh, I'll just ma- write a great book and word of mouth will take it from there. And that's not how it works. In fact, this is another bad thing about word of mouth is that it's often a code, code phrase for author laziness. <laughs> so it's uh, authors often say, oh, well, my book is selling by word of mouth. Uh, and I see small businesses do this too, actually. Typically, when they have no marketing strategy or no customer acquisition strategy, they only rely on word of mouth. And often what happens is they do really well for the first year or two of their business until they sell through their entire bubble. And everyone in their bubble has purchased their product or decided not to purchase their product. And then their word of mouth dries up and they're like, what's going wrong? You know, is our quality of our product going, you know, people not like my book. And that's not the problem. The problem is just that you've exhausted your bubble. It's like a forest fire that's burned through its forest. And you need some sort of way of of taking your idea, taking your book and moving it to the next forest. Because word of mouth isn't going to do that for you. Uh, another challenge with word of mouth is that it primarily benefits the very best books, and specifically the most remarkable books. Uh, and and by this, I mean like the number one book in a category all month long. Not I did a book bub and I was able to get number one for a few days. This is um, the very people. The books that people talk about tend to be their absolute favorites, uh, and not the kind of mediocre ones. So, like for instance. I you know, read dozens and dozens of books every year. How many of those do you hear me mention on this podcast? It's not like, oh, here's the book that I read this week. Uh, although the book that I read this week was uh, Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which is an excellent book. You should totally read it. It's all about <laughs> how ideas spread. Uh, in fact, I read it in preparation for this episode uh, and the next one about word of mouth. Um, but just realize it's limited in its ability to reach. Yeah, it is. I I got in this habit years ago from a friend who introduced me to the practice, and that's to ask other people, hey, what's on your bookshelf right now? But that's me being active and asking you. It's not you telling me unless I've asked you that question. And so most people do not ask other people, hey, what are you reading right now? What's really good? And so consequently, you cannot rely on that. 
That's right. And then finally, it's out of your control. Uh, Since you don't control it, if it's not working, there's nothing that you can do. And this makes you very powerless as an author. And we're going to show you a better way. (laughs) We're going to show you how you can take control of how many books you sell. Uh, But first, we need to talk about the the hideous. So we had the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is more than ugly. It's hideous. Jim, what's hideous about uh, word of mouth? Well, people self-censor, right? And your book may never come up. People self-censor in what they want to tell you uh, with regard to what they're reading. So if you say, hey, what's on your bookshelf right now, Jim? I might have four books, and I'm the type that has six books going at any one time. But I go, uh you know what? I don't think Thomas would really be into that. I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm not going to talk about that one. Uh, this is the one. So I've self-censor all these books I'm reading, and Thomas only hears about one of the books. What's another issue, Thomas, that that we deal with? Uh, one is that nonfiction books don't qualify for word of mouth, some of them anyway. Right? If I'm reading a really great book on computer networking, I'm probably not going to recommend that you know, to my friends willy-nilly, <laughs> unless somehow right. we specifically are talking about computer networking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I read this great book on how to you know, create a home network. Um, that's unlikely going to happen. <laughs> so the reality is, is that for certain categories, word of mouth doesn't work very well. And, and you were talking about self-censorship. This also applies to certain genres of fiction. Uh, so there's a certain kind of woman who will read romance books, but she won't talk about the romance books that she's reading. Uh, and so if, for, if that's the kind of woman that you're writing for, or if those kinds of women are reading your book, they're not going to be helping you out with word of mouth. They'll, they'll dutifully subscribe to your newsletter and they'll dutifully buy their books, but they're not going to share it on Facebook. They're not going to recommend um, your books to a friend. So just keep that in mind, depending on your category. Uh, or maybe somebody's secretly into fantasy and sci-fi and all of their friends are not those kinds of people. They'll be censoring themselves as well. Another thing is we, we tend to be, we tend to judge ourselves. We tend to be hard on ourselves. We wonder if our taste in movies or books or TV shows is, let's just use the quote marks and say correct. And so consequently, people worry that their taste is wrong. Have you ever recommended a TV show to somebody or a movie to somebody where they go, oh, I hated that thing? You might think twice about the next time you do it. And so a lot of people worry that they have the wrong taste and because of that won't recommend a book, even though they might have really liked it. That's right. And uh, how many times have you recommended a great book to a close friend? Uh, And then think about how many times you've done that to an acquaintance. (laughs) So uh, the reality is most people don't have that many close friends. In fact, there's a, a measurement for this. And that is if somebody died would you be truly devastated? And uh, according to the tipping point, the science on this is that most people have about 12 people in their lives who would be truly, they would be truly devastated if those people died. I I think for me, it's a little bit higher than that just because my family is so big. (laughs) So it's like, you know, I have four uh, brothers and sisters and, you know, a lot of other family members. My wife is also from a large family. But even for me, I don't think it's much higher than 20. In terms of like non-family members, I think there's only a, you know, a handful where I'd be truly devastated in the sense that they are close friends. And I have a larger social circle than most. And the kinds of people who write and the kind of people who read tend to have smaller social groups. And so it's harder for a book to spread than other products that are more popular with people with bigger social circles. Uh, So that is the bad news about word of mouth, but do not despair. (laughs) We have some good news. Jim, what's the good news? So the good news is next episode, we're going to talk to you about how you can 
use the power of word of mouth and how you can do some things that are not that difficult to do to make it work for you. Yeah, we don't want you to rely on word of mouth as your only technique. There's a reason why we don't talk about it that much on this show. But that being said, there are some strategies for helping make word of mouth work and specifically strategies on how to get your ideas to spread from bubble to bubble. So if you're concerned about selling through your specific bubble, there are techniques and ways of breaking through that. So we'll be talking about that next week. This episode of the Novel Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Tax and Business Course for Authors. You've heard us talk about this a couple of times. This is a course that Thomas put together with his father, who is a CPA and one of the most colorful people I've ever met. Just enjoyable just to listen to him. But after you take this course, you will feel like you understand who you are as a business. But even more than that, you're going to get a breakdown on how to put a business plan together so that you can go, you know, this thing is real. This has become more than a hobby. I'm going to understand the taxes, where I can write stuff off, where I can put my energy into, and you'll have a plan that you can put together yourself that shows you exactly how to get there. So Thomas, how do people uh, grab a copy of this course for themselves? Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes at novelmarketing.com slash 25. Uh, you can also get it at authormedia.com slash tax tips. And if business and money stress you out, if taxes stress you out, this course will make you less stressed, guaranteed. And if you're not less stressed at the end of it, if you're not making more money and saving, making more money coming in and spending less money on taxes, we will refund 100% of what you've paid. That's how confident we are that this really will help you. And it's authormedia.com slash tax tips. You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, offline, online, and everywhere in between. And thank you guys. We love it that you're listening.